0: Praise the Lord. If you would turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, To the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, Walks among the the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you do not tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, you prepared the way for this message. Anoint it, Lord God. Speak your words, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. These are the messages to the seven churches And um, each of these messages are things that we need to consider for us today. And uh, one of the things I want to really point your attention to first is who is walking among these seven churches. And um, Jesus, it says, is in the midst of the seven churches. He's walking through and he's examining these churches. Have you ever thought about that? Can you imagine Jesus Christ walking in the midst of all of our churches, his presence in the midst of our church, and he's just walking through and he's saying, there's certain things I like and certain things that concern me because I love you. And so we better be very attentive because this is the book of Revelation. It's how it starts with the seven churches and his message to the seven churches. And each of these churches has a message for the churches today. How many believe that. This is a message directly to us. And as I begin looking at this, this church in Ephesus was an amazing church. How many know that Paul was the founder of this church? Paul probably, through his work, founded this church. And by the way, they had a pretty good pastor when Paul left. In fact, Paul spent three years there, founded this church. And then after he left, he placed Timothy there. Among a group of elders that he met at Miletus, and this was a great group of people and a great church. Then after Timothy left, then there was another pretty good pastor, and his name was Apollos. Apollos, Apollos was very elegant, or very eloquent, maybe elegant too, but he was very eloquent. Uh, he was a very good speaker, very godly man, but then the, Jesus Christ personally begins walking through the midst of this church. And he begins to look at everything they're doing. And Ben, Ben, by every account, this church was an amazing church. It says, I know your deeds, literally your sweat, your hard work, your perseverance. How many know these are very good qualities for a church? They work hard. They persevere. They're very close to the Lord in the faith. And it says, they don't tolerate wicked people. They have tested those who claim to be apostles And and found them to be false. They persevered. They've endured hardship for my name. And they have not grown weary. And he's just walking through. And he said, but there's something deficient. Something's missing. Something in this church is missing that really concerns Jesus Christ. And he says, but I have something against you. He said, the love... That you had it first, it's not there. And it's scary. And everything in me says, I don't want God to walk through this church and the love to be deficient. Hallelujah. Now, what, what is he trying to speak to the church? And what is this love that's missing? How many, a little off subject here, how many can remember you'd sit in health class and they would begin to tell you what a healthy diet is? And this is kind of off topic, I know, but I'll tie it in here. Title of my message is Healthy Church, Healthy Diet. Healthy Church, Healthy Diet. He's looking at the health of the churches. And he looks at Ephesus. And as you begin in health and health class, in fact, I used to kind of hate that class. Because they would go through deficiency, and sure enough, the one they would always go to first. Is the deficiency of vitamin D, calcium, and potassium? Like you're not getting sunlight, and there's certain foods that have these. And do you know what that sickness is? If you have a deficiency, rickets, which is my last name. So I would be like, "Oh no, here it comes." Well, they would say the disease, and of course, everybody would look at me like I was the disease. But I'd always have to point out it's one T. Clearly, it's one, one T. I'm two T's, all right? Totally different than the disease. Amen. <laughs> but you know, you can have a diet, and you can even have a diet of a lot of good things, but if you're deficient in vitamin D, it's going to cause havoc on your body. Let me give you a few others. Scurvy. Scurvy is caused by a vitamin C deficiency. It inhibits the production of collagen in the body, which is a structural protein that connects your tissues. If you don't have this vitamin, you will have decay of your skin, your gums, you have abnormal formation of the teeth, bones, inability to heal wounds, bleeding, and other effects on your body. And you see a lot of places where there's malnutrition, And people begin to suffer in the body. Okay, I'm not even going to help you with the Holy Spirit here. You're going to have to hear the Holy Spirit. Alright, something's happening in the body and there are deficiencies that are causing the body not to function right. And I'm trying to give you a natural example because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you what could be missing in your life. What could be missing in the church. What could be missing if we don't get a hold of this. It's going to cause the church body to be in a a state of being degraded, of being destroyed, of being damaged, okay? Let me give you a few other ones here. Vitamin D deficiency causes osteoporosis. Iron deficiency causes anemia. You'll have a decrease in red blood count. You'll result in fatigue, weakness, paleness of the body. Some of you are here in the Holy Spirit, right? There are deficiencies that cause weakness, fatigue, the body to begin to degrade. Now, As he begins to look at the churches, he's diagnosing like a doctor would diagnose your body what's wrong with the churches. And something happens with this church where they have a love deficiency. But did you notice this church, what is a love deficiency? Here's my definition. It means something is not in your spiritual diet. Are you listening? Something's not in your spiritual diet that's causing damage to your spiritual health. Somehow love is not finding its way in your heart and you say, Man, I love people. I'm not talking about you. Because you don't have a source of love. The Bible says that God is love and the Bible says that unless His love infiltrates your body and your mind and your soul, you don't have any love in your body. And the Bible says I can do a lot of things without love. The Bible says I can function in a million different ways without love. And it's a warning to us, what can I do without love? Revelation two three that we're reading this morning 2, 1, 2, three says I know your deeds your hard work your perseverance I know that you don't tolerate wicked people I know that you've tested those who claim to be true and they're not you persevered you've endured endured hardship for my name and you have not grown weary do you see that they're doing everything right they're doing all these things for God they're doing all these works for God but they're deficient in their spiritual diet. Somehow they're not receiving love, and by not receiving that love, they're in severe danger of their body being deficient of the most important thing. Then he goes to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you have heard of that chapter before. What's the odds of my messages on love this morning? The Holy Spirit's kind of set me up here. I love when when that happens. And no, we don't talk. I have talked to the Holy Spirit, but I don't talk to everybody that spoke this morning. Praise the Lord. It says, Paul says, and now I show you the most excellent way. This is the way we're supposed to operate when it comes to love, but what can I accomplish without love? It says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love. I am only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy. So here's somebody prophesying, speaking in tongues. Okay? It says, if I understand all mysteries of the Bible. How many are really one of those people that, man, I want to know every mystery that's in the Bible. And you're constantly, these aren't, how many know these aren't bad things? They so well, I'm going to stop uh, speaking in tongues or I'm going to stop uh, uh, solving mysteries in the Bible. or I'm God's not telling you to stop these things. He's saying you're, you're able to do these things, these great things. And love's not finding its way in there. It's a deficiency. But you're doing so many things you think you have it, but you don't. So it goes on, you can solve all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, you can have faith that can move mountains and still not have love. You can still be love deficient. Not much more they could do without love, though. But without love, I have nothing. If I give everything that I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I have nothing. I mean, this person has given everything they have, given themselves over to persecution, hardship, everything, and you could do all that without love. Isn't that amazing? So this church is functioning in a, in a major way, but they don't have love. And so they're in danger of, 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 of a love deficiency. And what's really interesting here is there are seven churches in Revelation, okay? There are two churches that are commended very highly, and nothing negative is said about these two churches. They have a balanced, healthy diet. They're full of love. One church is the Church of Smyrna. Church of Smyrna is a church that is very poor, very persecuted, In fact, you'll see some of these congregations around the world right now, you've probably seen some of those. And they don't have a lot of money. They have their faith in Christ. They don't have a lot of things going for them, but they are suffering, they're poor, they're on fire for God. And he recommends them highly in Smyrna. Somehow this persecution, somehow this poverty, has protected them from losing their first love. And then there's a church called Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation is commended highly. There's nothing negative about Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the church basically where there was love. And every gift of the Spirit is an operation in Philadelphia and they're doing mighty things. This is the missionary evangelistic church called Philadelphia. And somehow, because they were pouring their love out to the world that's out there, the missionary evangelistic church was somehow protected from this degrading of the body. They had everything that God wanted them to have. But then when the five churches are mentioned, here's what's really interesting. And there's lots of ways to interpret the the churches of Revelation, but here's a real interesting one. These five churches give a picture of a body that is degrading slowly because they lost love. You begin in Ephesus. Ephesus is the first one that has something negative from the Lord. And the thing that God says about Ephesus, they had all the great men of God poured into this church their love. But Ephesus somehow is called the loveless church. Now be careful, because God's going to raise this church up to do great things for him. We're going to grow in our knowledge of God. We're going to grow in all of these areas. But the one area that we have to get right is we can never be called the loveless church that just accomplishes things for God. So beginning with the loveless church that couldn't receive this love somehow, they begin to degrade. The next church you see in Revelation, Pergamum. Now, I want you to see the degrading of the church because it starts off, they lose their love. And then when they lose their love, Pergamum is what's called the compromising church. So when you begin to lose your love for God, it kind of shows you a downward spiral here. Now they become the compromising church. Listen to this it says unto the angel of the church of Pergamos write these things Jesus Christ which has a sharp sword with two edges I know your works I know where you dwell you even dwell where Satan's seat is you hold fast my name you have not denied my faith even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwells But I have a few things against you. You have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak as a stumbling block to the children of Israel, to eat food, sacrifice to idols, commit fornication. You also have them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent or I will quickly come to you. This is a Jesus that loves them. But you notice the first group, they hated the Nicolaitans, which was a good thing in their favor. Now they've drifted from no longer do we passionately love Jesus Christ, but now they're beginning to believe the doctrine of Balaam. What was the doctrine of Balaam? The doctrine of Balaam was Satan could not touch God's people. He couldn't curse them. He couldn't do anything to stop them. They were unstoppable. God had his hand upon them and nobody could stop them. And then by the counsel of a false prophet, he said, I know how you can stop them. Make them compromise. If you make those people compromise, then God's blessing is not going to be upon them. And so because they lost their love, now the next stage is, now I'm open to compromise. How many have ever noticed when you fall out of love with Jesus Christ, the first thing that pops up is something to replace him? And so the second church, they became the compromising church. And church, if we're not really careful and we put anything above our passion for Jesus Christ and our love for Jesus Christ, we too will become the compromising church. God hasn't called us to be the compromising church. Then you become the compromising church for a little while. And then the next church that you see is Thyatira. This is the third of the five churches that had negative warnings. So now they become the compromising church, which means the enemy has an ability to say, You know, you really love God. And like, I don't know if I really love him or if I really care about him, and you begin to compromise. Well, this church isn't just compromising and have their ear open to the adulteress, this church is in bed with an adulteress. This church begins to follow a lifestyle that's totally against God. In fact, in Thyatira it says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you, because you suffer that woman, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and seduces my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, fornication, but she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds." So do you see, they went from a church that lost their passion for Jesus Christ to a church that began to compromise just a little bit, to a church that's fully in bed with the enemy. And you know, Jesus is walking through the churches in America right now. And you're going to find these churches. You're going to find churches you walk into that are very, very passionate about Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how passionate are they? Just say they love him. No, they actually follow that up with deeds that say, I love you. A lifestyle that says, I love you. A passion for the truth that says, I love you. And they're very careful in their love and their devotion to Jesus Christ. And then you walk into other churches and they begin to compromise. They begin to try to do what was popular in the eyes of the world. And you just see this compromise where you can't even tell whether they're Christians or whether they're not. It's just a compromising church. And he's walking through these lampstands. Do you see this? He's walking through these churches. He's saying, what kind of church are you going to be? What kind of people are you going to be? And he's just walking through and he's trying to tell us lovingly. These aren't angry words. These are words that I love you. Turn to me so this doesn't happen because I love you. And then he walks through this other church, and you know there are churches in America right now where you can do anything you want away from church as long as you come to church on Sunday and just say whatever. You know there are churches like that that Jesus walks through. And it's like Thyatira. They do whatever they want during the week, and everything's just okay. And Jesus lovingly, lovingly is saying, Don't do that. Don't be that kind of church. Don't be that kind of church. Stand up for the truth. Stand up for the right way to live. Stand up for the right things. And then you begin to go on, and this is just like a death spiral. The next church is Sardis, fourth of the five churches. Sardis, it says, you have a reputation of being alive. but You're dead. So they went from being a church that was passionate about Jesus Christ in everything they do, in every way they live, every way they act, every way they stand for the truth. And in every way they're totally in love with Jesus Christ. They're passionate. Then they begin to compromise. Then they begin to find themselves in bed with the world. Then they find themselves to be the dead church. How many know that there are a lot of churches in this world that are not in love with Jesus Christ? They have a reputation of being alive All these churches, do you realize when you read the descriptions of each one, they're all doing great things for what they call the kingdom? They're all doing great work. They get commendations for doing work. But on the area of passion, it's slowly degrading, and they don't even know that they're losing that mineral. That vitamin that is love is gone, and they're just going through the motions. And then finally, you get to the fifth one, Laodicea. Laodicea is the last one. And Laodicea is what we would term the discarded church. Laodicea is so lukewarm in their commitment to the Lord, I can take it or leave it. And Laodicea is the church that's called the discarded church. Why are they called the discarded church? Because Jesus walked through that church and he said, I'm so disgusted by what I see, I'm vomiting you out of my mouth. And so church, we got to be really careful. We're going to do a lot of things for God. We're going to begin to move for God. We're going to do great things as a church. But in doing those great things for God, we cannot forget that everything that we do is born out of our love and our passion for Jesus Christ. It's something you don't have. You say, well, today I'm going to be more passionate. Today I'm going to be more in love. Today I'm going to do more things. But here's the thing. You don't have it in you. Just like these minerals in the body, you have to find the right food to eat to get that mineral. You know, if it's vitamin D, you better go get some sunlight, maybe get some tuna, get something that has vitamin D and it, find out where your deficiency is at. If it's vitamin C, you better go find something with vitamin C in it. If your problem is love and you're degrading and your love for God is growing cold, you better find out where can I get it. Where can I find this love for God? Where can God fill me up with this love because I need it because I'm going cold for God? I mean, I'm falling into every temptation. I'm falling away from God. I'm getting away from God. Where can I get this inside of me, this love that God wants me to have? So where do you find this love? Praise God. Listen to this. Ephesians three seventeen and nineteen, Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Here's another one. The source of this critical nutrient. How can I know? you got to know about the love of God. Paul said, I'm hoping that you can be established and rooted in God's love so that when God's love begins to grow in you, you will begin to understand how wide it is. Like how wide is God's love for me? How deep is God's love for me? How high is God's love for me? How deep is it? And God wants you to know, God wants you to be able, inside of you this love needs to begin to grow that he had for you. And if it doesn't grow in you, if you you have a deficiency of what God's trying to put in you, you can't live this life. You can't be obedient to any laws that God has. You can't be obedient to his word. You can't overcome temptation. This love has to grow in you. And how does it begin to grow in you? And church, hear me today, you've got to have this love growing inside of you. You say, man, I don't want to love. I don't want that love to grow in me. It has to grow in you for you to serve the Lord. In fact, do in, you notice in 1 Corinthians 13, they're trying to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And he's like, let me show you the more excellent way without love, you can't even do any ministry. You can't live for me. You can't do anything without this nutrient inside of you. Number one, how to receive this love. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are not like that because you are a chosen people. You're my royal priest. You're a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you know or you show others the goodness of God because he called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's amazing mercy. The first step to receiving this nutrient in your life is you've got to learn to be accepted and chosen by God. How many have ever been in a sporting event and they're saying, hey, let's pick up teams, dodgeball. Pick up teams. And so you're there and you're like, oh man, I hate being chosen. It's just stressful. And everybody's standing against the wall and they pick the first one, they pick the second one, they pick the third one, they pick the fourth one, they pick the fifth one. And you're still there. And sometimes in life, how many know we carry that rejection with us? You weren't chosen by mom. You weren't chosen by dad. You weren't chosen by the kids on the sports team. But now God says you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. God chose you. And somehow, in order to receive God's love, that's the first thing I have to understand. There's a thing in this world called self-esteem. And there's millions of books written about self-esteem. But today, in order for you to receive God's love, you've got to be enriched with spiritual esteem. If you don't have God's spiritual esteem, you have to be esteemed highly. You have to be greatly favored. You have to be loved by God. And if you can't receive His love for you, you can't get love poured into you. And when you begin to receive, when you begin to say, yes, He died for me. With all of my sins, all of my shortcomings, all of my failures, you died for me. You don't hold my sins against me. You love me no matter what. The message this morning was he's got a cord and he's not letting go. He loves you. He esteems you highly. You're valuable. You're a daughter. You're a son. You're this apple of his eye. You are his favorite. And if you don't receive that, the Bible says you have to have faith in Jesus Christ that he loves me and he has a plan for my life. And God's saying today, receive my love. And if you can't receive his love, then it's not going to be found in you. You say, well, what happens if I can't receive it? You're going to work. You're going to work really hard. And you're going to to try to earn it. You're going to do it the way you did with mom, the way you did with dad, the way you did with the sports team. You're going to try to earn God's love, earn God's love, earn God's love. And God says, no, no. You can do all the work in the world. You can give your body to be burned. You can be a martyr. You can sell everything you have to try to please me. And God says, I love you without any of that. And until I receive His love inside of me, when it hits me finally that God loves me for who I am, God died for me. His grace is that amazing. The more amazing God's grace is, the more I love Him. The more I love Him, the more I want to pour it out to other people. The more I love God, the more I want to pour it out on other people. And so God's saying is receive my love. And you also need to receive your value. Value is what you'll pay for something. In fact, how much would you pay for a piece of cardboard? I wouldn't pay much for a little piece of cardboard, but if it were a baseball card it was rare, somebody would pay a lot of money for that. So the value of the piece of cardboard is what people are willing to pay for it. That piece of cardboard is more valuable than a piece of cardboard that's just laying around here. So what did God pay for you? He exchanged his son's life for you. Jesus willingly gave his life to show you your value. And you're going to say, I don't want it? Your value is extremely high. Unless we understand our value, how will we ever be esteemed? Paul was trying really hard. I think Paul was having trouble making them understand how much God loved them. He said, you've been rooted and you've been founded in love. My love, Paul, all of our love has been poured into this church. And I'm having a hard time explaining to you his indescribable love. He just had no words that could explain to them. And so Paul was trying in the best words to say, be rooted in his love so you know how deep it is, how wide it is, how far it is. And, And he was trying to get them to, Begin to let God's love be poured into their life, and He was having a hard time explaining it. <clears throat> you may have ever heard of a uh, author named Jules Verne, and he's considered the father of um, father of um, say it science fiction. Father of science fiction. He came around the late uh, came around the late part of the nineteenth century. And he started writing about things that people hadn't seen before. Like submarines before they were invented with this strange power to go deep into the ocean. And people's minds were blown. I mean, he was writing about nuclear power. He was writing about air flight before air flight was there. And he was trying to describe something that captured people's imagination because they couldn't even imagine. And this is what Paul's doing. Paul's way ahead of these people. He's saying if you'll get a relationship with Jesus Christ and you will receive him into your heart and be rooted in love, it'll change the way you live your life. It'll it'll, it'll give you humility. It'll give you a sense of God's love and it'll give you something inside of you that can be poured out to a dying world. So Paul was trying to make them understand this. Another thing that Paul's trying to make him understand: part of receiving love is receiving forgiveness. I think one of the problems that I see in our church is some people don't know how to receive forgiveness correctly. Some just assume it's there, no matter what, and they take advantage of it. But then others can't even forgive themselves and can't move forward. They can't let God's love be poured out in their heart, so it's hard to move forward. Another part of God's love is that I am called. How many know you were chosen for a purpose? God's called you. His love is filling your heart how do I know when love, God's love has been poured out of my heart? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, after he talks about all the things we can do without love, then he begins to give characteristics of what happens when love is present. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Now, I don't follow along because I've kind of... Uh, made this more readable for myself, hopefully it's better for you. But number one, if love is inside of you, it never gives up. Never gives up. Do you have that kind of love in you that never gives up? It's like, you know what? God has put that love in me that he never gives up on me. What does that feel like? God never gives up on me. That cord that we were talking about this morning, He never gives up on me. Somehow that didn't register in your heart. That's why you're love deficient, because you don't realize he doesn't give up on you. Everybody else might give up on you. I mean, you know, everybody, even your mom and your dad can give up on you. But he never gives up. And if that finds a place in my heart, Somehow I can find it. I'm not talking to you guys. I'm trying to not be love deficient myself. How many know that? I'm a cleric, James, right? I'm learning how to love. It's hard, man. We're learning. We're learning our our personality type. But God wants us to find a place in us where we never give up on people. Man, I want it. We never give up. Why do we even give up? Because His love's not in us. Next one. Love cares more for other people than myself. Ouch. If it's inside of me, if somehow, well, wait a minute. How does Jesus put that inside of you, that you care for other people more than yourself? Please. He left heaven to come here for us. And if that's inside of me, and I live my life like that, and it's rooted inside of me, and I know what he did for me, I want to be like that to everybody. Live for other people more than myself. That's love, real love. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. If love is in me, I'm not envying what other people have. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't want to take things from other people. Love wants to give things to other people. Love does not strut around and proud. Look at me, look at me, look at me. How much of our life do we spend? Look at me. Love doesn't do that. So if love is in me, not about me anymore. I don't spend all my time thinking about me all the time, because love's in me. How many of you think the world would be a better place if people weren't so self-absorbed? God wants that to root in us because Jesus wasn't self-absorbed. Love doesn't have a swelled-up head. You say, well, Pastor, you've got a pretty big head. Yeah, I do. But I'm not talking about that. I mean, know that you can... We're called to have more knowledge of Jesus Christ, more knowledge of His Word. But if what we're doing is getting more knowledge of God that swells our head up and doesn't swell our heart up, we, we might as well not be studying. Because everything that we study is to swell our hearts up, not our heads. You can spend a lifetime swelling your head up and your heart can be tiny and cold. The Pharisees are a good group that did that. Their hearts never swelled up with love, just their heads. <clears throat> It doesn't force itself on other people. Love doesn't. Love doesn't always say me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. All around love is the patience thing. The patience thing. So if we're going to be loving people, we aren't going to fly off the handle. We're going to love people. Well, these are hard, aren't they? Love doesn't keep score of the sins of other people. It tries to help other people. I mean, no, oh, some people keep the score. Let's the next one. It doesn't get happy when other people fail. Love doesn't get happy when other people fail. <clears throat> Love takes pleasure in the truth. You say, well, you're loving me by just letting me get away with what I'm doing. Did you just hear what I said about the degrade of the church? I'm loving you when I help you not be degraded as a body. When I love the truth so much, I'm willing to confront it. I'm willing to not just confront it in an angry way. How many know that's not love? But it's doing it in a way that says, I love you. I want you to do well in the Lord. Praise the Lord. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, and love endures through every single circumstance. Praise the Lord. Stand with me this morning. Well, let's pray.